lads. Another snagless episode. Episode 66 too. I do feel that snags would have enjoyed 66. I know it's a little bit early to bring the boys into the podcast, but boys, in honor of the great man, anything that rhymes with 66 that snags would have brought up, Stoney, got nothing for us? Uh, episode 66, it's all about them dick pics. <laughs> That's my one for snags. He so would have said that. <laughs> Stat man, you got one? Yeah, yeah. Um, episode 66, still mesmerized by Izzy's tits. <laughs> Very well done. Very well done. Uh, boys, I know after hearing that, you probably don't you don't even want Snags to step back in the studio, but we do. Uh, Snags will be back next episode. Had to uh, had to do a mercy run to the NT on a, on a bit of business. Sounds pretty flash. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk to him when he gets back. We'll see how the NT worked out. But um, huge, huge episode today because we'll, what we're going to do is we're kind of trying to be smart with our episodes and we're trying to stick a bit of local picks in between some pay-per-view picks. But... Pay-per-views come in thick and fast for the UFC for the first part of the for the year, and we've got a pay-per-view coming up in a week and a half. So we thought we better be smart and pop them in this podcast. We'll grab Snags' pick later in the week. We might even get him to do a little solo video and drop his picks to the world. But before we do that, we've got some guests on today's podcast. A little bit different for us. We don't have a fighter on today, but people that are in the fight game. Uh, we've got Mel and Jason from Victory uh, Recovery Systems to talk about athlete recovery in combat sport. Probably a little education for the rib family. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. A few local fighters listen to our podcast, so they might get something out of it too. So that should be great. Um, and like I said, we'll do some picks for the Covington Masvidal card. Boys, before we get too far into it, let me introduce the lads. Stony, how are you, mate? Doing well, DL. Got to get straight to business, my good friend. Uh, went in on a few bets in the in the past fortnight. Uh, had some wins and had some losses, but uh, good segue for Snags not being here because allegedly there's someone on the podcast who never pays their debts, never pays their bets. Uh, <laughs> that is not me. So uh, our good friend Zach, all the way from Santa Barbara, uh, threw down a challenge in Ooh. the De- Derek Lewis Tie to a Vasa or Shui Vasa, as he likes to refer to him. Uh, of course, I went Derek Lewis. I thought the smart money boys was on Derek Lewis. Yeah. It evidently was not. Uh, and it was our boy, and it was the Oceana curse getting another member of the podcast once again. Uh, so yeah, without any further ado, boys, it's uh, it's time for me to Go. to pay up. Oh no! Oh, shit, I boys. forgot about this. He didn't do the. He didn't do the spit. He didn't do the spit. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer him not to. Oh, he's fat in it. <laughs> All right. Here's you, boys. Oh, it's, look at the loafer on it. Yeah, it's Ooh. a good shoe. He's got on the nice leather. Yeah, mate. <laughs> oh, I can hear it too. It's gross. Oh. <laughs> what was your stat from last episode about the uh, the bacteria in shoes? Yeah, it's three times more than a toilet seat. But um. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, these are my going out shoes. Um <laughs> And with Sony being on strict lockdown for about 36 months and now I've not been out for a long time, DL. So uh, oh, that's smartness true. for Sony. Three-year-old club from the Coastal <laughs> coastal Championship. Just enough time champion. for that bacteria to really infest around yeah, the bottom of that absolutely. <laughs> So that's a bet I lost, boys, but there was a bet that I won and a stat man alluded to. Uh, obviously, I'm a, a two-way runner-back world champion. I'm now a one-time Coastal Combat uh, Australian champion, so I look forward to getting that. 
And as a great man once said, I'm going to strip. No, I'm not going to do it, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be looking forward to defending that belt. It'll be great, actually, with JVH on next episode. So uh, uh, our, lad, our lad got a win off the back of the podcast, which was good. Statman, how are you? Mate, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I, think, I, I think probably the most shocking result of the, uh, of the card was the tie two of us and knockout. And I think I actually said that I just – I simply couldn't imagine – an ending to the fight where tie two of us were standing over an unconscious Derek Lewis, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so kind of that one kind of fucked both of us. But uh, it was good. It was a fantastic brawl, fantastic card. Um, lots of good fights on there. Lots of good Australian talent showing up, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, in greater depth later on. King Casey O'Neill shout out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited for the card. I completely didn't realise that this new UFC card is is coming around so quickly, um, but. Looking forward to it. Yeah, super quick. Well, boys, before we jump in the podcast, got a lot to talk about. We better thank our sponsors, Humble Fightwear. Humble Fightwear is an Australian jiu-jitsu brand that celebrates one of the most important parts of martial arts, becoming humble. Stoney. That's right, DL. Absolutely love the passion behind this brand. Uh, they're all about the journey, and you can count on the quality of their gear to be with you every single step of the way. Yeah, head to their Instagram page and give them a support there. Give them a follow or go to www.humblefightwear.com.au and help them spread good vibes one purchase at a time. And for being amazing runner back listeners, the legends at Humble Fightwear are giving you 15% off your entire order. Code word, really easy, RIB15. That's RIB15 at checkout. Boys, I think it's time to jump in the podcast. I think we've got our first guests. Uh, we're lucky enough today to be joined by a husband and wife team that are the brains behind Victory Recovery System. Mel and Jason have a clear passion for ensuring athletes can maximize their performance. Mel and Jason, thanks for being on the Run It Back podcast today. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here, actually. <laughs> Our first podcast that we've featured in, um, we're usually on the receiving end on the other <laughs> so It's quite nice to be on the flip side now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All the way from Perth. We yeah, are. Lol Perth, our little uh, island of island. Not forgotten about. You're gonna join. You're gonna join the rest of Australia soon. So I say, there's a repatriation coming. I think. I think. <laughs> 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 oh goodness but like i said thanks for coming on um you are a brand that is passionate about maximizing performance athletes like getting the best out of their performance and helping them uh, especially in the recovery element of it your product obviously is available online and, and in, in a lot of gyms uh, around australia can you tell us a little bit about how the brand got started obviously husband and wife team so that's uh that's a great little start so how did it get going we're still together, so that's a good well start. Well done. Well done. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, yeah, we we just got married and we'd met through our mutual love of combat sports. For those that don't know, we actually got engaged in a combat sports gym. Uh, very to me very there, romantic. So Beautiful. That's kind of our only social life that we had, so that just seemed fitting at the time. Um, but, yeah, we love combat sports and just like most people in the sport, we had a multitude of injuries. Um, I had quite a serious knee injury that took a year of rehab and then I'd pulled my hamstring and then I'd been out for bits and pieces and concussion and Jay the same. And we just got to the point where we we're looking at coaches for advice and we just weren't getting the right information. And then we started looking and realizing that 
physios were quite generic in the stuff that they did. The information out there was for a lot of bigger sports like CrossFit and football and NRL. And there just wasn't anything in our market. So we just put our heads together and said, shit, we can change this. And that's pretty much where victory came from. And your own journey, you talked about you've been combat sport lovers for a while. Where was your passion first up, Mel? Where did you start? Yeah, I um, went through a really shitty stage in my life. And I think most people do. And I just went to a boxing gym, really. Little backyard, kind of like an American run, <laughs> dodgy boxing gym. <laughs> 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 I watching this. I didn't stay there very long. Um, had a Russian coach. He didn't speak very good English, but gosh, like he just got me to a level where I really enjoyed it. And he said I had some talent. I think he was probably lying. Um, and so I just kept and kept training, met Jason, tried some different disciplines. We went to Thailand and did Muay Thai um, and did a bit of a camp over there. Um, I didn't quite get to the full competing stage only because I kept injuring myself. Um, so that was where the frustration came from. But, um, yeah, Jay's been competing has got a little bit of a different story. But for me, I'm more in the boxing side of things. BJJ was just not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> you either like it or you don't. It just wasn't my thing. But, yeah, standout Muay Thai and boxing is kind of where I've stayed and I've loved it ever since. Um, but, yeah, I didn't quite get to that competing stage. Just sparring days and bits and pieces. Yeah, um, yeah really struggled with the injuries there. So I didn't quite get to the level that I wanted to. Um, but we started the business. Yeah, nice. Sounds yeah. like a, it's got like a cinematic Rocky-esque vibe to it, like trading in the backyard of some dudes, <laughs> some Russian dude. You got talent. You got talent. Then, yeah, it's, it sounds fantastic. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. I wish I had like some more like recordings of stuff when I started. Everything but the chicken running around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just brings out like the big frozen cow and he's like, there you go, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason, your combat uh, sport journey? Um, yeah, so I um, I went FIFO, um, had a few friends or guys up at work that actually trained BJJ and kickboxing and stuff. And I was, yeah, pretty unfit and <laughs> unhealthy, six pack of beer every day, um, four pack of cigarettes every day. I was, yeah, I was the epitome of health, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, and they, one of them was my neighbour at work and he just spurred me on. He just said, why don't you come give it a shot, you know? like Yeah, so I just started training BJJ with them and moved into boxing with him and Muay Thai and, um, yeah, he got me into a few competitions for jiu-jitsu um, Muay Thai, went to a Muay Thai gym and just, yeah, absolutely fell in love with that. Then transitioned to MMA and yeah, I've just had my finger in every pie sort of thing, just learning as much as I can, like every little day that I absorb something, I just love it. I think that's what, that's the love of that sport, of, of, of BJJ especially, but um, any sort of combat sport, you do fall in love with the process around it. Yeah. And it's really cool that you've developed a brand out of that. What was the early stages of Victory Recovery Systems look like? To go right back to the roots. Gotta have a look at the right back to the roots, guys. We started, yep, from absolutely nothing. Um, We realized we started a different brand in the same sort of concept, but we worked out pretty quick we'd buggered it up and need to needed to like remarket. Um, brought on a marketing team on the Gold Coast that own a combat sports gym as well as a marketing agency which was great for us and they said we need to rebrand and start from scratch so our start was a pretty shitty start to be honest. Yeah. 
we balls up the first one. The second one we did all right. But you recognise that. You recognise that. That's so how you learn. Able to, yeah, that's you, it. yeah, exactly. you got to make mistakes. Yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. It's busy. That's business. Best part of business, you know, like you always learn. Same as combat sports, really. They go hand in hand. It's good. I think we're too honest. I think sometimes like people are like, oh, how's the business going? And Jason will nudge me because I'll say, oh, it's like a charity. <laughs> <laughs> like a charity? I'm like, no, we're not a charity. Sorry. I'm like, yeah, just we're still in that startup phase. Yep. We're very much, um, you know, at one and a half year mark. People didn't know we existed, so we're still just getting our name out there. In WA, we're doing quite well, but unfortunately, like over east, we haven't been able to travel as much. So we've got Eternal that gives us that promotion on that side, but we're really struggling to get that expansion that we need, and it's no one's fault. It's just the current climate with um, COVID that we've had to navigate. Um, And I think that the second part for us is trying to get combat athletes to understand how important recovery is when they it's a mindset thing. I think they think an injury sometimes is a little bit of like a medal Mm. Um, and trying to say like, yeah, mate, I get it. But come 20 years time, you're still going to be going to want to do this sport, but you're not going to be able to, Um, or if you're going to want to coach, it isn't a longevity thing for you. You're going to have to find another career because you're not going to be able to hold pads when your elbows are all buggered. Um, so just we've really got to break through that mindset. Some guys get it. CrossFit get it like you wouldn't believe. It's incorporated into their training. But you go to a combat sports gym and we're just noticing how vast the difference is. Like some guys just don't, they don't have any concept and it's not their fault. And it's not for lack of information being out there. It's just the lack of targeted information for our demographic and our sports. Um, so we're really having to push shit uphill, to be quite frank, in trying to get the guys to really understand why we're here and why it's important. The well, ones that have had injuries, like, like me, get it. Um, and some of them that have done rehab with a good physio that tells them this is what you can do at home um, so you don't have to see me twice a week you can see me once or once a fortnight these are things you should be doing before and after training um they get it but yeah we're there's a there's a lot that just don't quite understand and a lot of the coaches are old school not through their own fault but um old school in the way that they teach and so we're really trying to educate and it's a really hard thing to do when they're resistant to it well, something that stands out to me is like the way you talk about the potential for your own uh combat experience there's a there's like a a hint of bitterness to it that you might have missed out on that chance to compete professionally um and i think like i think that's such an important thing and jason you spoke about it on on your own podcast when injuries took you away from the ability to train it started to affect your 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 mental state and like training is an escape and is is a important part of any person's mental health plan essentially um so it's amazing that like preventing yourself from being out even for a week but potentially longer with those niggling injuries isn't more ingrained in people who make their livelihood from combat sports. You'd think that it would be even more like a larger part of that. Is Do you reckon there's a reason why? Do you think it comes down to not necessarily ego, but do you think it's necessarily, it comes down to I can push through this? If I, if I don't push through this now, I might come off as weaker? Yeah, I think some some – coaches in some places instill that in people you know like you you have a knee clash and they're like oh just keep just keep sparring keep sparring like you just keep going and you know you, you get to the end of the session and your knee's blowing out and you're like i 
I told you it was bugging and they're like, oh, we might have to pull out of the fight now. And it's like, well, I could have stopped that two rounds ago and iced it and, you know, been all right. But, yeah, so I think sometimes it's ill education and, um, like, having some sort of medical knowledge about what inflammation is, you know, and what injury is, is the key missing parts. It's probably a good little segue there is like how different does post-training recovery look like from a post-competition recovery training? Like is there a difference in that or is it because you're doing similar things, it's the same? It depends on what, um, if you are holding any injuries, for example. So a rehab component will look different um, to incorporate after an injury. But if you're only holding like minimal things and niggles and stuff like that, it'll, it'll look very much the same. Um we make it very clear when we're talking to people, there's a difference between a traumatic injury and like an injury that's post and is in the recovery phase. I think a lot of people don't understand that. You can't foam roll a fracture. <laughs> um, you know, you've got a massive bruise or hematoma that they'll call it. You can't foam roll that out. That That's not what we're talking about. I think a lot of the stuff that we do is, is the pre and post um, injury recovery and then the rehab component. Our products play a part in that. But a lot of injuries come from not actually being in the ring. Um, a lot of guys will start like agreeing with us when we start talking. Sometimes you'll have a fight and you'll come off fine. And then sometimes like in training, you'll do something just really simple and stupid and you'll hurt yourself and it'll be like a five or six week recovery process. Um, a lot of the stuff is done from just overuse. Overuse, high intensity, and your training evolves and adapts to different people that you're training with. Um, so sometimes it's it's just that matter of you've been training too much, you haven't been letting your body recover, and you've just put the muscles under too much stress without letting them recover and relax. That you've just you've pulled something, or you've put your joint under pressure, and and there it's all just flowed from there. So um, yeah, like our stuff is just a, a five ten minute thing before and after training. I think people think it's a big hour session you need to incorporate. It's really not. Can you can you fly to Thailand and, and go join up with Hazmat Chamayev? Because that dude says he trains six days uh, six times a day, and I'm just genuinely terrified because he's my most hyped prospect in the world. I'm just generally prospect uh, generally terrified that he's going to have a career ending injury outside of the cage because he's overtraining. So we'll just get you on a plane and send you there. <laughs> you can look after him and get him there back in the cage. Suitcase full of products. Yeah, mate, please. Please get that sorted. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're actually pretty good in Thailand. I think they're starting. They caught on to it a while ago. You know, they when we went, that was a fair few years ago, and they had like a masseuse in the, a part of the gym they had you warmed up, you know, like they did stretches and made you do a warm up and then a cool down stretch. And, you know, like they were, they were pretty good with that when we went over and traveled there. But I, was, I think I went through this with, I had a podcast with uh, Daniel Mini T the other day and we sort of touched on it a bit about like Australia seems to be a little bit behind the eight ball with it. Um, you, you go to America and you look at some of the gyms in America and they've got physios, they've got ice baths and saunas and all this stuff in all the major gyms. You, you come to Australia and it's like it, it's something not talked about. It's unheard of. Like recovery centres are just starting to gain traction on the Gold Coast and the East Coast. But, yeah. Well, it, it wasn't long ago when AFL clubs didn't even have that facility. 
um, they had to go off base for that sort of for that sort of treatment. It's been, really feels like it's only been in the last five to ten years that they've actually gone and invested in the recovery element of their sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's exactly it. it's an investment. It, it, like you put you're putting down a bunch of money now, but if you have like your star player, especially if you talk about AFL, if you have your star player for an extra three years on the on the field, that's that's an investment paying off right there. Well, that's it. And fighters are like a draw card to a gym, aren't they? You know, like if you can go train where Jimmy Crute and Jake Matthews train, like you would go there, you know, and if, if they're well known and you know their facilities are good, you're going to go there. It's a draw card to your gym for longevity. Sorry, I think before when Jason was talking about, um, you know, in Thailand and what they were doing, I think it's a very relevant point. What we, what our products do with like trigger point release and massage, it's been around for years. It's like we're not doing anything new. We've just got tools and adjuncts we can use to help facilitate um, those in your home now. You don't need a professional or someone else working on you as such. Um, but that all that stuff's been around for years, but it's been around in a lot of those other countries for a long time. Like they do a lot of massage um, and even for the fighters um, pre-fighting, they, they do all that out the back for Muay Thai. So um, it's quite... Yeah, it's quite interesting to us that here in Australia, we just, we've adapted the sports and brought it here, but we haven't brought some of the other stuff with it. Or maybe it's an Aussie thing, I don't know. But. <laughs> They're too stubborn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the equipment that, that you guys offer, is that sort of something you could see in every gym in the, you know, roll for a bit and then come and have and use the foam rollers and the trigger point balls and things like that and and get what they need? Is that the goal? That's the yeah, plan. Definitely, That's yeah. It should be, um, you know, with the coaches, you know, like as you just as like you skip, it should be for the guys, right, if there's anything that you've got an issue with, focus on it for five or ten minutes before we start training. It's just about activating muscles, about loosening them up, warming them up, getting them ready, finding your trigger points, releasing those before you start training. And then after training, if you've got anything that's bothering you, to just focus on it for five or ten minutes. And so you're not carrying it into tomorrow and the next day and the next day or it actually gets worse. Um, and then you end up with an injury and then it's a long time to sort of recover from that, especially in soft tissue. Some of it can be quite lengthy, um, the healing phases. It's not people think I'll have a day off and go back to the gym and they don't let it heal. And so when that happens, it becomes a chronic injury. And how many coaches I've seen that have got buggered shoulders and elbows, they can't hold pads anymore properly because they never did that healing process. And so those things will stay with them forever unless they get other um, interventions to try and fix those issues. Yeah, cool. so common sense. Well, <laughs> it's, <like, laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's common sense. Just the, the five minutes before and the five minutes after, like it's not it's not a whole lot of effort, yeah. No, it's not. And CrossFit, they will do that in their training. Before you start lifting weights, some of them will have out glute bands, they'll have out foam rollers, and they'll do it after training as well. So for me, when I was doing my rehab, I had to – I couldn't train combat sports, um, so I had to train in CrossFit or something different and build up um, muscle mass in my leg. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, these guys are doing, why aren't we? It just, yeah, the crossover just isn't there, and it's frustrating for us. Like, it's really frustrating. Sometimes we chat to guys and we're like, do this, and they just don't listen. Like, they, they 
you mean well by trying to help them, but they they still just oh yeah sure, and you know they're going home and they're having a beer and not giving two shits. Like it's just. <laughs> It's probably really an education thing as well. I know from, you know, personal experience, not even at high levels in sport though, having uh, little nigglies uh, like tendonitis and stuff like that and me just not realising that that was the the precursor for a more severe injury uh, and having that mindset to push through and it's not until, you know, you do something major, that's when your passion for the education kicks in and then you look back with all these regrets on things you should have been doing to... um, So I guess what you're talking about is it's also the role of the coaches to be educating their their athletes around it, people who've, you know, learnt by these experiences to try and pass that on, just like they'd pass on technique and, and skill training. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And giving them time to do it as well, you know, not like pushing a class to the last minute before the next class starts, you know, pull that class up five, ten minutes early and go, righto, guys, everyone sit in a circle, let's pick a stretch each, let's go around the circle, everyone does, picks a stretch and we do it, you know, well, let's get the foam roller and pass it around or, you know, like it, it I think it's a very overthought process. It, you know, think small and it, it will be small. It doesn't have to be very impactful on your training session or your gym. Like it can be really simple. Yeah, we just launched our seminars just recently um, to try and do exactly that to educate because we realised that we're still missing, although we had the brand and the products, it just still wasn't getting across. So we we launched it with our physio and the first one we did, it was an extra half an hour at the end just asking questions of what I do for this, <laughs> what can I do for that, how do I tape this? Um, and so I think the, the guys after they were done, I was like, what did you think of it? And the feedback was like they were just so surprised at how many things they could have done by themselves without needing a professional. Um, a lot of them don't have health insurance, which is really surprising. Um, so, you know, they don't want to go and see someone and fork out the dollars. Um, a lot of this is just like really easy stuff, really basic, really basic. Um, and I don't think they realize that until they're taught what to do. And is there a couple of products or three products you could recommend, uh, to those coming into combat sport that should, is like essential from your range? Like we have a um, essentials recovery pack, which has a plain foam roller in it, a trigger point ball, and some tape. Um, yeah, I just think the trigger point ball and the foam roller are the main parts out of that pack. Um, I mean, the tape's really good preventatively and also if you just want a bit of extra support in your ankles or your wrists, um, yeah, your shoulders, whatever sort of injury you've previously had. But Yeah, pretty versatile. Just chuck them in your gym bag. Um, you may not need to use them one day because you're feeling fabulous, but um, they're just there to grab, use. Other people will use them if they know what they're doing, but um, there's so much content out there. I know we've got our own um, specific to combat athletes because it's lacking, um, but there's a, there's so much they can do. I think they just need to look and start doing it, and once it becomes a habit, it'll be fine. Uh, we just got to get to that stage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good luck. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are definitely on the way with that. The more and more things we're finding on socials, the brand is popping up, so which is exciting. And where can the guys find you? Where can our listeners check out um, what's happening at Victory Recovery Systems? Our Instagram is definitely the location. Victory Recovery Systems yeah. uh, is our tagline. You can find us there. We're on Facebook also. Or head to our webpage if you want to check out our products. We do have our own podcast that we've started getting into, having chats about recovery for the guys on YouTube. They can find our link from Instagram. And also you can find our content on our other YouTube channel, which particularly talks to combat athletes, what to do with our products, how to use them, 
um, and where they're most useful. Cool. Jason Mel, thanks for jumping on the Running Back Podcast. No, thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate it. All right, boys, time to jump into Over or Underrated. Like I said last week, I've gone to the dark edges of the internet, find some headlines, boys, and get some opinions. Are they overrated headlines or underrated headlines? Let's go to the first one. Rob should move to either 170 or 205. Stoney. Uh, underrated on the proviso he can actually safely make 170. Now, I don't like his chances of moving up to uh, moving up a class, but if he could move down a class, uh, I don't hate it, DL, because uh, I think the road back is it's two or three wins minimum against absolute killers to get a title shot that we've seen now twice. So I don't think there's a, a whole lot of uh, push or drive from, from the fans to want to see number three of Israel and Rob. So if, if there's an opportunity for him to be able to cut down to 170, I think it takes one one good win and he might be very much in, in the title shot picture. So from a career perspective, yeah, underrated. Yeah, underrated as well. And, and for much the same reasons, a 205 move would be probably not advised. I could not get over how much bigger Israel Adesanya looked than Robert Whitaker, um, both at the weigh-ins and in the fight. But at 170, the Usman and Whitaker fight is very intriguing to me. Um, I, I think that'd be absolutely fantastic. I think that he's gotten substantially bigger than he had than he was when he was at 170. So I'd be interested to see if he could make that cut safely and still maintain his wrestling and his power. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that 185 is is a challenging division if you are Robert Whitaker at the moment. <laughs> Underrated by listeners, actually put a poll up as well, and they were strongly against Rob moving anywhere at all. Let's go to the next one. Mike Perry outlasts Julian Lane. (laughs) (laughs) Firmly over. I do not care about this one, dear. Overrated. Statman. Yeah, overrated. The, the best thing about it was when Mike Perry brought out a baseball bat at the weigh-ins or the press conference. Um, Julian Lane is is the funniest character from Ultimate Fighter history. Um, and Mike Perry is, you know, he's Mike Perry. So uh, I, I could care less. Do they just have baseball bats under the tables at Ben? I, I don't know, man. I, 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 don't, I don't know what kind I think of... that, that's the most curious part of it. Did he bring his own baseball bat to the presser? Do they just I... have him sort of like a hardcore title match? Uh, in the dome where they stash things <laughs> under the ring so you can just pull something out if it gets a bit heated. It's Mike crazy. Perry's got the kendo stick. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clear overrated by the listeners. Let's go to the next one. One punch, Hill brutally sleeps Walker. Not doing a lot for the credibility of Straight Blast, Jim, in Ireland, is it, DL? Uh, makes you question just how phenomenal is the talent of Conor McGregor to come out of that gym and do what he did because no one's been able to do anything close to replicating it, let alone, you know, get on a winning streak. So, uh, yeah, that, that was savage. Yeah, uh, underrated for me as well. I, uh, to be perfectly honest, I didn't, I didn't give... Uh, I didn't rate Hill too much uh, going into this fight. I thought that he was the deserved favourite going into this fight, but... 
if if you asked me what I thought about Hill heading into it, I would have said I don't really think about Hill to be honest. Um, but that that knockout, the comical way that it went down as well, but also it was weird. Um, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm a little worried about Walker. He's shown himself to be pretty chinny. Um, he obviously talented, fun striker, but the light heavyweight division is filled with bombers. Uh, and he's shown to be quite chinny even on the regional Brazilian scene. So um, I don't really know what his place is uh, anymore. And it's, it's a shame because he seems like a genuinely fun, bizarre fella. <laughs> Let's go, listeners. Listeners going with the Boise, overrated as well. We love this one. Fuck you, Aussie flips the bird, unleashes at booing crowd in X-rated rant. Highly, highly underrated deal. Uh, the women's division in you know, all weight classes needs a heel. They're just crying for someone to, to really embrace that persona. And who better than King Casey? I, I thought she, yeah, she started it well. I'd love to see her just continue rolling with this angle. Uh, not not that it was even an angle. Like, le- legit, fuck you, Houston. Uh, yeah. Yeah, underrated. Good honor. It's a tough crowd in Houston. We we all love Roxanne Modafferi, but like it was it was blatantly disrespectful, and I think it all stemmed from the lack of the glove touch. Which who fucking cares? <laughs> like it's not like she she baited the glove touch to bring it in. One thing I do love is that every time that Casey Neal goes on on a, like a rant, this one directed at the crowd. All I can think of is Becky Lynch from the WWE. Yeah. It's the accent and just the the way that she cuts a promo. There's a reason why. Uh, the WWE love a microphone in front of Becky Lynch, um, and and Stoney's absolutely right. Uh, you need you need a heel. You need someone to be able to not give a fuck necessarily what the what the crowd has to say about you, and just keep putting on dominant performances. And can we just briefly talk about the fact that that was a dominant performance, not a split decision, <laughs> which was the most outlandish, <laughs> the most outlandish. Decision I've seen since Dominic Reyes versus John Jones. I'll just say that. Um, I, th- you, I think you're onto something. I've got a, a Becky Lynch pop vinyl here. Maybe we should start calling Casey the man. The man. <laughs> the, king, the king, man. The king is, is, is it's such big, a it's big. It's big time Bex now, so we could a big time Casey. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Like <laughs> Let's go to the next one. It's a little preview to uh, next weekend, Fight Night 49. Michael Bisping at his best here. There's a good chance Bobby Green pulls off an upset against Islam Markachev. Phenomenally overrated. There is no chance Bobby Green pulls off this upset deal. It's 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 definitely overrated. Uh, I've, I've done big calls before that have blown up in my face, so I don't know if I'll ever say there's a 0% chance in MMA, but it, it seems... Really, really unlikely that that this is the man to topple Islam Makachev. Um, Bobby Green is, is scrappy and he is game, uh, and he's coming to this fight on short notice, which I would hazard probably puts Islam Makachev at the greater disadvantage. I just don't think that it will be anywhere near enough of a disadvantage. And I think Bisping's just being a good company man and trying to trying to hype up a uh, very very one sided fight. To be oh you better what you got to watch this one, uh, he's just been a good company man I think. Let's go, to the listeners. 
overrated. Clear one for the boys. Clear one for the boys. Guys, that is over and underrated. Boys, we might move into a results and leaderboard update after the first picks of the year. Statman, do you want to run us through the last cards that we did in the last picks and, a, and maybe a quick little overview of how the Oceanic Fighters went? Yeah, I was going to say because we, we, we did focus on um, the huge amount of Oceanic Fighters that, that do take place at UFC 271. Unfortunately, it, it was kind of a mixed bag of a night blood diamond in his UFC debut being choked unconscious by Jeremiah Wells. Uh Robert Whitaker teammate Jacob Malkoon defeated AJ Dobson by unanimous decision. Carlos Ulberg, Izzy Israel Adesanya teammate, defeated Fabio Charant by unanimous decision. King Casey, as we mentioned, defeated Roxanne Modafferi by allegedly split decision. Uh, and then on the main card, uh, Tai Tuavasa, huge elbow KO against Derek Lewis, uh, and Israel Adesanya defeated Robert Whitaker. Uh, the other fights that we we picked on that card, Kyla Phillips defeated Marcelo Rojo uh, by submission triangle armbar, one of the only few triangle armbar submissions in UFC history. Uh, Bobby Green defeated Nazrat Hakparast. Jared Cannonier defeated Derek Brunson by huge KO as well. And then the aforementioned tied to Avasa and Israel Adesanya victory. Good card for myself. Good card for Snags too. We finished on four apiece. Statman, you finished at three. Stoney. Coastal Combat Champion just got just got two. What's going on there? Mate? Mine's elsewhere now. I'm I'm off the gold and on the silver deal. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I'm waiting by the mailbox, waiting for that package to arrive. It just hasn't yet. You know, you got to follow him up. So yeah, I don't want to accuse him of being like snags or anything. I wouldn't go there, DL, but you know, the clock's ticking. The clock's ticking, JBH. All right, let's uh, let's jump into some fight picks and some stats from the Statman. Where are we heading, Statman? You'll see 272, Coving- yeah. Covington versus Masvidal. It's going to be a good one. So like we did last week, I've got um, a couple of, of the earlier pay-per-view card picks. We're just going to ro- uh, run through them. And then for the last big ones of the night, we've got some stats. We've got some in-depth analysis as well. Um, first up, repre- representing the Oceanic fighters on this card we've got a lightweight bout between jamie malarkey and jalen turner um dl you want to go first with this one as you are leading the leaderboard yes, thank you thank you mate I'm, I'm not going to go against jamie malarkey so uh i'll take malarkey uh next me uh, I, I, i'm the same jalen turner is a dangerous fighter he's got a really really good record in the ufc so far jamie malarkey's really really shown me um, he's got the scrappy heart. He, he obviously the Brad Riddell fight, but then coming back with back-to-back victories now as well. I'm going to go Jamie Malaki in this one as well. Um, yeah, I, I should know better, DL. I, I've just done a shoey, and I'm going to have to do another <laughs> shoey uh, by tipping against an oceanic fighter. I'm going to do it again though because I guess you know it's early in the season. Yep. We're already a couple down off the lead. Yep. Uh, I, I say this one. I say Jalen Turner. He, I think he's a really, really neat prospect. Uh, I think he's a little bit too polished for Jamie Malaki, but. You know, he's a real junkyard dog, old uh, Jamie Malarkey, so he could turn this into an absolute mm. scrap, which I expect he will do, but I'm on Jalen Turner for this one, boys. Perfect. Next, we head into the welterweight division. We've got Kevin Holland versus Alex Cowboy Oliveira. DL. Really want to say Holland, but I think it's going to be Alex Oliveira. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in real two minds about this. This is his first fight down at welterweight. I wish it was against someone other than Alex Oliveira, but... Um, I'm going to go Holland with this one. 
Um, I think Alex Oliveira might be just a little bit too old to grasp this, but four or five years ago, this would have been right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, 100%. Uh, stats uh, getting a bit long in the tooth, like he's, uh, his brother Donald. And I think that Kevin Holland, geez, he was a, wasn't he a star on the rise? And, Flash and just like Yeah, just like Johnny Walker, um, you know, how quickly this can, can come undone. But I think Kevin Holland gets back in the winner's column with this one deal. So, that man, I think I'm going to change my tip based on those. Yeah. I think I'm going to flip to Kevin Holland. Is that all right? Is that all out? Yeah, mate. Go, uh, we're not on to the next the next fight yet. I reckon, no, I, cool. I reckon you're I reckon you're able to lock lock myself in some Kevin Holland. Thank you. Perfect. We head into the featherweight division. The first Craig stats of the night as well. Uh, we've got a featherweight bout between Edson Barboza and Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell started off his MMA career with eight straight submission victories, seven of which occurred in the very first round. And while he's only achieved one submission win in his six UFC appearances, the one he did get uh, secured him submission of the year honours with an amazing twister choke. DL. Has um, Venom got on board with the camo? Uh, Remember remember Reebok did his camo gear? Oh, that was Reebok. I was going to say he definitely wore... He definitely wore. Has um, he had a fight in Canada last year? I don't know. Yeah, still going to take him though, Bryce Mitchell, for DL. I'm going to go Edson Barboza in this one. I just think I, I love Edson Barboza as a striker. I, I'm pretty predispositioned to going going after the striker uh, when it comes to a specialist matchup. Um, he's got fantastic takedown defense, as most Muay Thai and kickboxers out of Brazil typically do. If this gets to the ground, it is it is a terrible time for Edson Barboza. I just think that his striking is leagues above Bryce Mitchell, and we should see that um, he should be able to exploit some game plan, uh, some some holes in the game. Each round starts standing, and I think Edson Barboza should still have enough in his tank in his repertoire to be able to put some put some holes. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, a couple of body kicks switched into a leg kick, and and we see Edson Barboza take out Bryce Mitchell's legs. So I'm going to Edson Barboza in this one. Now, who are the who are the wrestlers that Edson's actually struggled against? Obviously, Khabib absolutely mauled him. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Lee caused him an abundance of trouble, and then Edson nearly pulled off the. Uh, out of nowhere with the, the spinning wheel kick, I think, which gave uh, Kevin Lee the old chicken dance for a moment, but he was able to compose <laughs> and get back. Um, Michael Johnson as well, I think, kind of had a grappling-heavy approach to their fight as well. Yeah, really torn on this one. I, I'm going to jump on Thug Nasty just because I like him a lot, lot, lots more than Edson Barbosa. But I, I agree with stats that this one is uh, it, it's a lot closer. It should be a lot closer in the odds as well. $2.20 Edson Barbosa right now on... Uh, in Australia, so that that's you know worthy of a little punt right there. I think. Perfect. We'll head into the lightweight division co-main event, so we're looking for a finish to this fight as well. This is a five-rounder co-main event because it was meant to feature as the main event for the most recent UFC fight, a fight night event. We got Rafael dos Anjos versus Rafael Fazeev. So this is a stat I'm going to be very, very, very happy with if someone can prove me wrong because I am thinking that it must be. But I spent way too long this afternoon looking for another example of a fight between two fighters who shared the same first name in the UFC and very frustratingly could not find any. The closest I came, it's a technicality and I will take it. 
was Anthony Pettis versus Tony Ferguson. Oh. Um, both Anthony's on their birth certificate. I'm taking it. But this, I, the difficult thing about this stat was I was pretty convinced that there was two Joshes that, ever, that fought each other in the UFC. But if you Google Josh fight... Um, the only thing comes up is the, the fucking thing where all the Joshes in the world got together to fight for the name Josh. Um, it's in, it's an impossible thing to search. Um, so Anthony Pettis versus Tony Ferguson at this stage is the only one that I can confirm to be, uh, actually have happened. If someone has proof of another one, please God send it through to us because it's been pissing me off all night. I... I when I seen that fight, I knew that was going to be your start. Like hundred yeah, percent, he's going to talk about the names. So I'm happy that you actually couldn't find any. So that's great. Just a quick one. Why has it been pissing you off? Why do you care that much about? Because <laughs> I'm because I'm sure it's wrong. Uh, like, right. I, like uh, I didn't want to come in. I don't like coming. I wanted to come in and say this is the only other time that it happened when Bob fought Bob, um, but um, I couldn't find that. So. Uh, and I'm I'm sure it's wrong. Yeah, I'm sure there is one out there, but uh, I couldn't find it. So well, that makes more sense. I thought you were just genuinely pissed off that the two people with the first. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really, name. really, really pissed off at Joe Silva. Why haven't you done this before, man? Why, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually a bit struggle with this one. I actually don't know who I was going to go. Uh, I I think RDA was originally what I was going to go. I love that mustache. Uh, it's a very <laughs> snag thing to pick. Um, but Rafael Faziz, I'm actually going to take in this one. I think really impressive his last few fights. Uh, I think he's the guy that wears a little fluffy Russian hat at the end of his fights. I love that. And he had a real bold call out, wanted to get paid last time. So I uh, hope he got a little bit of extra cash in his pocket for this one. This one, this one's kind of an interesting one, especially because it is still occurring across five rounds. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos has been in... In those dark waters for a, like a lot of his career, he's been to the five-round um, position. Uh, his most recent fight against Paul Felder, uh, five-round war there as well. Uh, Rafael Fazeev, I believe, has the youth and the, the skill advantage at this stage in RDA's journey. Whether or not it will be enough, we haven't seen Rafael Fazeev, if he can keep up his high, high pace across five rounds, I don't know what his gas tank's going to look like. I do know what RDA's gas tank's going to look like. So I'm taking this one as Rafael Fazeev by decision. I believe Rafael Dos Anjos has only been KO'd once by Jeremy Stevens, and he might have been TKO'd another time, but like he's a very hard man to put away. So this will go to a decision, and that makes me a little nervous because there's so many question marks around the rounds four and five. Rafael Fazeev by decision. DL, did you have a finish? Yeah, I might take him. Yeah, I might take decision. Stony. Yeah, uh, last week was the week of Izzy. I think this week will be the week of Fizzy. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going decision as well, boys. Uh, but you're right, uh, Statman. The the TKO was obviously Eddie Alvarez. Thank uh, you, did, thank didn't you. actually put RDA out, thank but you. won by TKO. Uh, perfect. Well, we'll head into the main event, a rare UFC pay per view main event without a belt on the line. <laughs> We head to our welterweight non-title five-round main event between former training mate, uh, training partners, bitter enemies, Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal.
A bit of a silver linings to Jorge Masvidal's most recent loss to Kamaru Usman. Jorge Masvidal is currently the only man to finish a fight with Usman, leading the significant strike count. He did this despite getting viciously knocked out in the second round. DL. It's it's a, a dominant Colby Covington in this fight. Uh, honestly, I just think he'll get inside uh, Jorge very, very easily. Uh, I think Jorge will try to be a little bit uh, coy on the outside a little bit, throw a few punches on a reach, and I think Colby just gets in there a little bit um, and, and finishes him. Uh, finishes him quite early too, in one or two. I'm going to play on the smart side and go TKO round two. So I've, I, I'm very, very interested in this one because I feel like Covington, if Covington wants to wrestle with Jorge Masvidal, there is enough film out there on, on Covington and Masvidal grappling in the gym to show that there is a clear, clear advantage between Covington and Masvidal. How much improvement Masvidal has made since Covington left the gym, and obviously Masvidal was focusing on Usman for that entire stretch of time. Maybe he's improved and maybe he might surprise Covington, but Covington has a clear advantage. The thing is, the interesting thing is, you can basically go 100% when you are grappling in the gym, when you are training. What you can't go 100% in is striking, and that is Masvidal's game. So, Masvidal has a pretty clear idea what 100% Covington looks like in Covington's wheelhouse, but I don't know if Covington necessarily knows what 100% Masvidal striking is. That being said, I think that Covington should dominate this one. I found an interesting stat. This was actually going to be my interesting stat. This was going to be my stat for this one, but I couldn't find an updated figure on it. But Covington actually has the fifth most uh, significant strikes to knockdown ratio. So what that means is it's not actually a flattering thing for Covington. He hits more significant strikes before a knockdown than almost everyone in UFC history. He takes a lot of punches before he can get a guy on his ass. And Jorge Masvidal, we know he has a good chin. Whether or not that chin is still intact after the Usman fight is a big question mark. Uh, I see Covington dominating this fight. Uh, I, I, I could see him winning it on the feet based on his performance in the Usman fight, but definitely on the ground. And I see him grinding out a brutal, exhausting five-round beatdown on Jaime as well. He'll take the United's decision, and I'm betting on two, ten, eight rounds in there. Yeah, it's a good summary. Uh, I, I agree, and I love the point. I actually think he could win this on the feet. Yeah. Uh, whether he, he's you know got the, got the ego to, to do that uh, or whether he goes the, the safe way, similar to... Well, I was going to say similar to the Usman, but that first fight, I genuinely think uh, there was a little bit of self-doubt with Colby around how his wrestling would go with Kamaru Usman. I think that's why we saw that on the there feet. There were two wrestlers because... who turned into a fucking kickboxing clinic. It was amazing. Correct. I, I, I don't think you know we see the same in this one because I think Colby knows he can get him down. I think he knows he will get it, and I think that's the way this fight goes. Uh, what's really interesting about this, boys, mark my words, if I have to go a bold call or an unpopular decision – these two lads are still very good friends. That's Stoney's hot take, okay? Ooh. I still think these boys are playing this for, and they're playing all of us, and credit to them because they've done it so convincingly that we're all falling for it. And it's run deep. This storyline has run very deep, DL. There's the gym coaches. Changes. Gym, gym changes. You've got to be convincing. You've got to sell this. And I think that, that they have. I, I still think these lads are, are very good friends. Um, but... That won't change anything. They'll be going hammer and tong uh, on Saturday night, and I think Colby by a decision similar to the Statman. That's that wraps us up. That's, that's it. That's crazy. That's huge call. So do you reckon we'll get a hug at the end? Uh, yeah, I do. Well, they want to cash yeah. in and just go another. I, I reckon that will be a good tell. 
I reckon that would be a good tell because as close as their friendship was and then as heated as a rivalry has been, I would say that if it is a legitimate beef, there will still be hard feelings after this fight. I could even see, instead of a hug, I could see a war of words continuing after the fight. I could see shoves being exchanged between coaches. I could see the whole, not quite a UFC 229, but I could see a whole schmozzle occurring. Maybe a a Nashville brawl uh, going back to the strike force days, maybe. Uh, I think the, the timeline is incredibly relevant to this discussion because they were, they were both, I guess, you know, very bland personalities, very bland fighters. And then all of a sudden, they, they've both gone in, in different, you know, paths, different angles, but they did it at, at a very similar time frame. And, you know, it would not surprise me in the slightest if there was conversation on how can, you know, we're, we're both in this, I guess, lull where we're not getting an abundance of interest. You know, here's the angle I'm going to go. Here's what I'm going to do. You know, fortunately, Masvidal won a lot of fights that people didn't think he was going to win. So that yep. helped his cause immensely, uh, followed by the the ridiculous knockout of Asker and, and then the the bad motherfucker and that whole Three piece of soda. And- Correct. So, but... You know, I just think the timeline is really ironic that these two, I guess, best friends parted ways, went on their separate angles, and now they're coming back for this, you know, money fight that's been years in the making. This could have happened at any point over the last three years. There was just better fights to be had by the company. But this one, it's a bit like Connor and Nate. It was always going to be there, so there was no need to rush it. Now there's there's no real obvious fight for either of them other than to fight each other based on all the, the war of words that's gone down in the past three years. So I, I think they've played it really well. That, that's That's my call. All right, boys, coming to the end of the podcast, we do like to finish it up sometimes with a little bit of uh, Stonies. No, thank you, DL. I, I do appreciate that. So uh, it was going to be a, a fairly straightforward tool of the week this week. Uh, as we know, with a live broadcast, things change. So now we've got uh, dual tool of the weeks. We often thought Snags would be the first person who would, uh, <laughs> member of the podcast, who would get this nomination. But DL, I'm sorry, mate. I've got to throw you under the bus here. <laughs> because when we we went to air and you introduced Stony and Stony, yep. you know, cashed in a bet yep. that I lost. Yep. Um, you just run the the listeners through why you're you, why you think you're nominated for Tool of the Week this week. <laughs> I may not have pressed record on a video of you doing a shoey. <laughs> Correct. And Zach, this is how much we love you, mate. Not only are you getting one chewy, you are now going to get a second chewy. Only this time, what there's actually going to be some some video footage. So it was an ASMR chewy to begin with. Yeah, you're going to get you're going to get it twice, Zach. Living the dream. <laughs> Late too for Stony drinking beers. Jesus, what do you do this to me, dude? <laughs> Sorry, I felt really bad. <laughs> hey, oh, Spartan. Hey, you gotta you gotta do the spit. You gotta do the spit. He's done the spit and he's seen it. Look at that. Close to the microphone there. Oof. Oh, I can see it frothing. <laughs> Is that a forex? You can see it frothing. <laughs> no. Here's cheers. Cheers. Cheers, mate. <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> oh god. All the way down, boys. Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so I hope they appreciate that over in Santa Barbara. <laughs> they will. <laughs> but DL, you're only a, a co-tool of the week oh, this cool. week because... <laughs> Lucky. As, and I swear this happens many times, Stats has, has stolen my thunder. Oh, I'm sorry, man. 
With Rob Alexander. No, that's fine because it was a worthy comment you made earlier. I just didn't elaborate because I knew this was coming. But uh, Rob Alexander, obviously the the judge, UFC 271, uh, that, that scored Roxanne Modafferi for winning that fight DL. We, we blew up in the group chat, rightfully so. There may have even been a comment that uh, scoring fights is not rocket science because it was very clear who won that fight. Interesting fact, and I'm pulling a bit of a statement here, Rob Alexander actually is a rocket scientist. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he? So Rob has been an aerospace engineer with the space program for 25 years. So there we go. What that tells me is you can be a very intelligent man in one aspect of life and have no intelligence in another because his fight IQ is wildly, wildly off the radar. Now, to Casey O'Neill, she set a record, didn't she, Satman? Was yeah. that the most significant strikes landed in a women's three-round fight? Yeah. Correct. Uh, she, she, she broke it, I think, in this in the second round too, and she just she kept on marching. Own, was it breaking her own record from the last? I, fight? No, no, no. Well, I, I don't think so. I think I think it was I think it was three fights. I could yeah. be wrong there. Three separate fights, but yeah, she she broke it early in the second, and then she just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I think she broke her own record, DL, but I don't think that was a standard. Ah, okay, record. Yeah, I could yeah, be wrong, and apologies if I am. Gotcha. But I, I I think she might have only been ten off. Nate Diaz, who holds the the overall record, which is is a phenomenal effort. Um, Roxanne had one, maybe two takedowns at best. I don't think she landed anything in either of them. How anyone can be watching that and scoring, at best I could give a round, but even then I'm I'm doing my best to, to try and side with someone who I completely disagree with. I don't see how you could possibly ever watch that fight and score that for Roxanne Modafferi. Thank fuck, boys, that common sense prevail because if uh, our girl Casey O'Neill had have lost her winning streak based on that partial <laughs> judging, there would have been more than a tool of the week nomination. I would have been flying to America, <laughs> DL, via Canada for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Rob is lucky that Snags is next on my hit list. Otherwise, Rob Alexander would be getting a... A 24-piece and soda from the Coastal <laughs> Combat Champ. And that's why Rob is this week's... I think they pulled him from the judging uh, after yeah. that. I don't think he did any more fights. I would hope so. Yeah. They, said that, they said that he'd only refed, he'd only judged four fights in his entire career as well. And he was, he was doing a UFC card. I didn't get it. <laughs> had also get... judged 21 rocket launches though, so yeah, yeah. Um, Who was the other one? Was it uh, Adelaide Bird or someone? Was, uh, Adelaide Bird is notoriously terrible in both boxing and, and MMA to the point where um, it's genuine, generally assumed that she is corrupt. Like <laughs> it's, it's just they just assume she's on the take. Um, and I know I hype on it about it, harp on about it a lot. The the judge in the John one of the judges in the John Jones Dominic Reyes fight in three fights that card did an absolutely genuinely terrible job. There was. There was ones on there, and you know how I feel about that fight. There were ones on there that was actually worse than the John Jones Dominic Reyes fight on that card, and he he popped up a bunch of times. Um, just just it's not hard to judge a fight. Pay attention. Don't overstate things that don't have impact on the thing. Judge takedowns, yeah. Judge takedowns as much as you would passing guard or uh, or a count, a successful counter, or a significant strike or something like that. But if they're not doing anything with it, and there's a recency bias with fights where it's like a very, very time-specific recency bias where the last minute the last minute is more important than the previous four. 
because judges apparently have the fucking memory of a goldfish. But that's not how it should be. In an ideal world, you would be making a, I don't know if you do like a little squiggle graph throughout the round, like how dominant a fight has been in the round. So you can see, okay, cool, they've got a punch, move the thing further to the right into that that fighter's field. Oh, they've got a takedown scored against them, move it back that way. I don't know how to improve it because it just seems... It seems beyond hope sometimes. It's just, mm. it's just fucking mental. Look, there's there's fights where you can at least mount a cause. So yeah. I look back at the John Jones and Reyes. I actually thought Reyes won the fight, but I can I thought it was very close. So, yeah. you know, th- those ones happen and you've got to accept that. When there's fights that plausibly you cannot mount an argument and you've got a, you know, professional judge there, which dictates, you know, money, career prospects yeah. obviously not for Roxy she's out of it but you know the prestige of Casey O'Neill you know getting another one or two wins under her belt and then potentially fighting for a title with a with a perfect win record yeah. is astronomical to the the story especially if she starts turning heel and starts developing uh you know a bit of character her, her perfect win record is massive and for that to potentially be taken away by some absolute fucking dumb yep yeah, not going to go there, Dale. <laughs> when, a, when a patient it, dies it a, un, unexpectedly, a doctor is hauled in front of a morbidity and mortality conference where they have oh, to explain every decision that they made. That's so extreme, Statman. No, but like... like We're talking I, about I, MMA judging. You're talking about people I, dying. I What I'm saying is <laughs> I think that there should be accountability where if you make a widely panned decision, the, NCA, the NSAC or the governing body of the state should pull you in and you should have to watch the tape of the fight and explain why you made the round-by-round round decision you made. And if you can't adequately explain it, cool. You now get to go to judges' training <laughs> camp. And you have to spend six weeks learning how to be a fucking judge before you can judge another fight again. Because For- it is... It could have it could have cost Casey Neil seventy five thousand bucks, or it could have cost her her win bonus plus the future prospects that having an undefeated record is like. It's, yeah. it's couldn't, fucking couldn't agree more. There needs to be accountability, and if the athletic commission are not doing a DL, that's where Stoney's tool of the week has to step up, and <laughs> we will continue to step up each and every week from here on in. Very political, and and, and the producer is not exempt. You let that be a lesson because you're <laughs> not far right. from here. I deserve that. It was terrible on my half. A uh, very political way to finish the podcast, and it wasn't based on vaccine mandates. So, our- it could be. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap. Tushu is deep. I'm ready to go, DL. Just spark me. Just fucking spark me. That's a wrap on episode 66. If you like what we're doing, please like, share, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing or following is the best way to stay up to date. That's episode 66, boys. I'm producer DL. I'm the stat man. My name is Stoney. Uh, Snags will be back next week and we'll run it back with you all on the next Run It Back podcast. I was nearly going to talk about sharks as well, but then Stoney would get off. <laughs> when we watched the fights, oh. we watched Hex on Friday night. Oh, we were yeah. trying to get you to come on.